0: everyone and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network. Ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Actually, it's just going to be an hour of Jeff breaking down the Eagles schedule because he is so excited that it has been released and it is out there and is now ready to speculate on what will happen in this new 17 game season.
1: So Jeff Cohen, you take it away. I'll just sit back. Uh, no, not happening. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and do this. I'm not. Uh, it 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 amazes me, and it does amaze me that people listen to that. That that hey, let's pull out the schedule now, seventeen games, and let's go through each week, even though we have no idea what the rosters are for each of the team, and let's predict who's going to win each game. It is like so like cute. how how is that interesting? Except for those people that want to take notes on it and then call into those shows, like six months later and say ha you were wrong as we approach doing this show i'm enjoying the echo in the background by the way how about you oh yeah we do have a little echo we'll see yeah. if
0: Vito can get that fixed we'll let him know Vito, we got a little echo on the background if we can get that taken care of uh jeff I, I after almost six years on the air i i have realized that
1: it is so easy to just set you off <laughs> i know I what didn't... the echo is from because see people don't realize that behind that background of you is a cave a cave yes you literally are batman and and you live in the bat cave and we just all didn't know it. and i just decided to expose you on the air i am batman mm-hmm.
0: uh if we run down the guests while they work on the echo we've got tom house from the morning call at 405 talking baseball 20 keith pompeo join us with a little basketball talk maybe you can explain to me what i've been seeing with the sixers and jeff can well, talk. wait
1: which which day do you want to know what they're doing with the sixers
0: Well, I'd like to know um, who's playing in the game tonight, because, um, you know, it it seems like nobody for Orlando is going to be on the basketball court this evening. Jeff, is that what you're saying?
1: No, there's well, there's seven players from the Orlando, from the already stinky Orlando Magic that are not going to play tonight. So you asked the question because you're I guess you're better at math than I am about whether or not they have enough players to play. Do you need more than five? Like, is there a minimum? I believe eight was the minimum because you've seen games
0: canceled earlier this season over how many players you had to play. And the Sixers had that issue where they had a guy who they dressed, but they knew wasn't going to play. So it's definitely been an issue earlier in the season. I don't know who's going to play. Look, we'll get to Keith with that in a few minutes. Third time's the charm. Jeff, why don't we just talk a little baseball before Tom comes on? Mike's probably trying to get him on the line. So why don't we talk about what we're seeing this week with the Phillies? Um, again I will
1: look to set you on up. which day because it's it, it's like Jekyll and Hyde well which one do you like Jekyll or Hyde <laughs> I don't know which one's bad well it's Dr. Jekyll right so Doc and Mr. Hyde I think the Mr. Hyde is the bad one right okay well do you know
0: the I'll ask how you classify this evening because Vinny Velasquez has earned himself another start and that will happen this evening against the Blue Jays Jekyll or Hyde
1: <laughs> good thing I'm going to the Sixers game so I don't have to watch it How's that? As, as you, and, and I, and I know you could defend it by saying, well, the last game he did. Okay. Well, no, I, that that's the whole point. The whole point point. see, now you got me going. The whole point <laughs> is, is that Vince Velasquez can have one good game or two good games. And then you're going to have seven disasters of games where he's going to throw 20 to 25 pitches an inning. He's gonna walk a bunch of guys. He may hit a guy or two, and he won't get out of the. He'll pitch four in the third innings. It's not gonna work out. You think it's this is
0: this is how it always goes. How do you feel about what you're seeing with this team so far? You said Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, we'll talk about the minors with Tom shortly. This this the major league team is twenty and eighteen overall. They're seven and twelve on the road after their five one loss to the Nationals yesterday. They are a different team on uh, at home versus on the road. At home, their pitching staff ERA is combined three point five six. On the road, it's four point seven nine. Their OPS goes from six seventy one to seven eighty six. It, it just it balloons, and I'm not sure what the difference this is. The last few years, this team. Home versus away, it just has always been an issue. Let's leave the major league talk there. We'll get some of it in with with Tom Hausnick. Tom Hausnick from the morning call. How cool is it for you to be back at games with fans watching baseball?
2: It's almost normal, almost, but it, it sure beats what we had last year, which was <laughs> which was nothing. So um, it seems like it was almost you know longer than that, longer than a year being away. But it's just nice to hear. You know, cracking a bat and then hearing some cheering behind it. It's, it was kind of surreal just sitting there at some of the uh, alternate site psyche, alternate psyche games they had, and they had no fans there. So it was just weird to hear everything in the in the stadium. So it's been, uh, it's been nice to get back to some normalcy. I think everybody involved, including the players and even the manager, doesn't mind talking to me every day. So it's a good thing.
1: Wait, wait, you just knocked me right off my chair. So they actually, did, you said they don't mind. Would you go as far as they missed it so much that they like talking to reporters? For the first homestand, yes.
2: <laughs> I'll see how Gary Jones uh, feels uh, <laughs> a week after next when he has to deal with me for six games in a row again. We'll see how that goes. But I mean, it was, again, I think everybody just missed that normalcy, whether, you know, it gets monotonous after a while for everybody involved having to talk every day to us. Um, but, Again, that's what we all grew up knowing. That's what we got involved in. We know this was going to be the way it is. And you know, aside from the, it being on Zoom, the interviews, as opposed to being in person, uh, you know, it, it's, as, it's as good as we can hope for at this point.
1: Well, you, you, meant, you mentioned knowing the way it, it's going to be and the way it is. Uh, right before you got on, Jason and I were having our, our monthly discussion on Vince Velasquez. Uh, once again, he's earning, I use that in air quotes, to start. Um, what do you see uh, with Vince Velasquez and, and please tell us that what, what you're seeing is that somehow this time, after all these years, it's going to be different.
2: I can't say that with confidence. Um, again, we've, we've seen short bursts and, you know, you can dismiss that one outing, which seems like 15 years ago when he struck out all those Padres and, Everybody thought he was frontline material. Um, the kid definitely has stuff, he's no longer a kid. But again, we've seen stretches like this where he looks like, yep, he's turned a corner. He's mentally strong enough to handle it. He's gonna be more consistent. Even his bad outings are gonna be better than they were. But you know, we've been down this road uh, a few too many times to, to get tricked into thinking that he's good to go. Um, again, it's all about potential. Everybody knows that potential is there. His stuff will play. He just has to trust it. and somehow find a way to be consistent again it's great for now but you know i'm not ready to say he's our number five guy for the rest of the year i I couldn't i couldn't do that and i I don't think anybody would want to tell him that because again somehow he'll find a way to put pressure on himself and and just have one of those outings that leaves everybody just you know monumentally frustrated
0: well, um, one of the reasons that they need Vince Velasquez in service, you know, Chase Anderson and Matt Moore have not always worked out at times, but Spencer Howard is down there with you uh, trying to rebuild a little bit and make him into a starter again. What have you seen out of him this year?
2: Uh, his his fastball has played well, but he has not had a feel yet for the off-speed stuff, and obviously he got to have that at the next level. Um, he's been able to get away with with that for his you know his two inning stints down here, but that's something that still is clearly a work in progress. Um, now again, his velocity is not where it was when I first saw him in Reading uh, a couple of years ago. Um, that was you know 97 plus. We haven't seen that, but he's consistently sitting in the mid 90s. His location is getting better, um, but in his you know his first start in the High Valley, he he could not throw any of his off speed pitches over for, for strikes. And uh, he left the game after three, issuing a four pitch walk to the pitcher. Um, he just you know, didn't have full command that day. But again, he got himself through, you know, two plus innings. Didn't give up any runs. And he just, you, know, you say, okay, that's great. But um, again, he needs to be to show he's more efficient with all of his pitches, and before they think about uh, trying him again at the next level. Again, his um, his fastball will play, but. Major league hitters will hit that no matter how hard you throw it. So they're going to have to find a way for him to, to just get that consistent feel. And again, he's, he's supposed to pitch on Sunday. That's his next term, but you know, they might just say, Hey, look, that'll be the second look that the, the Yankees triple A uh, team is going to get a look at him in the, in the series. Cause they're all six game series. They might push him back to the Tuesday opener, which would be in Syracuse um, for his next start. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But again, he's not thrown more than 44 pitches. In any game this year, whether it was the three with the Phillies or the two with the Iron Pigs, that's been the max uh, number of pitches. So no matter when he goes up to Philadelphia, he's not going to be, you know, completely stretched out to somebody. somebody thinking he can go five, six, or seven innings, that 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 probably might not happen this year at all. But it's certainly not going to happen in the near future. Um, he's he's on a very strict innings limit, you know, pitch count limit, and you know, for the foreseeable future, that's the way it's going to be. They're going to be very cautious with him. Um, and I get it. Um, but he's even if even if he even if he was not on a limit, he's still not where he needs to be to, to face major league hitters right now.
1: Okay, so if he if he's not the answer for at least this season, Chase Anderson and Matt Moore haven't done well enough in my mind that I feel comfortable with them as the four or five starter and I, I will always have hints about Vince Velasquez. Is there anybody else that you see in their system? that can be plugged in this year who will, would be better than them or you think could project as somebody that could be better than them and help them through this season?
2: I wish I could say with confidence that you know somebody like Adonis Medina would be that guy. He's the one that they hung on to uh, when they made the Rio Muto trade with the Marlins. Um, he's, he's improving, but I don't think that he's the guy that's going to get you there anytime soon this season i mean maybe in come august he turns a corner but right now he's uh, inconsistent with his location Uh, again hard thrower but when you make mistakes in the middle of the plate you're going to get hit and um, his mistakes uh, have been magnified uh, through the alternate site games and for his uh, first couple of starts here in actual triple a games he looks really good for stretches and then he kind of misses location once or twice and, and guys don't miss it even here at this level so um he still has some growing to do um he could potentially be that guy but i I can't i couldn't think to say that he would be the guy hey come july and there's nobody at the trade deadline worthy of picking up this would be your guy right now that's not your guy but he's your he has your most promise right now bailey falter left-hander he's probably you know he's probably a year away um you know he's missed so much time in uh, previous two years before the pandemic with uh, with some injuries uh, so he didn't have a lot of innings under his belt at the young leagues to begin with so this is a year not to mess with that i think they just let him pitch every fifth sixth day at triple a and just see where he's at next spring training so i they're they're your two best young pitchers currently sitting in triple a and I, I don't think you can say with uh, with certainty that they're going to be the guys that could fill a spot in the, in the rotation in Philadelphia at any point this year. So to answer your question, what, no. What if you,
1: what what about Damon Jones? Is he somebody that ultimately now figures to be in the bullpen, or is he somebody that can go back and be a starter and, and kind of be the guy that can you can get at least five or six solid innings out of? He's he's an interesting question because. Um, 2019 was a
2: crazy year for him. He goes through all levels, single, double, triple-A, um, breezes up until he gets to triple-A and then runs into some trouble. <clears throat> his location is not great, and you know he paid the price for it. And last year was probably a good a good thing for him to just kind of work on um, being able to repeat his mechanics, which really kind of um, hindered him in, in, in 2019 when he got to triple-A, and just fine-tune his off-speed pitches. And, they've kind of put him in a role now where he's in he's uh operating out of the bullpen sometimes it's later in game sometimes it's earlier sometimes it's finish an in inning sometimes he does multiple innings i think that's enough on his plate i don't think he's a guy that you can say oh, hey damon we we have a spot a number five spot potentially in the Phillies rotation and we need to go back to starting i don't think that would work well um, for him mentally or physically uh, i think he's finally getting to a place where he's comfortable With all of his pitches his mechanics are getting better uh again i would not yo-yo him uh we've seen that not work out real well with daniel de los santos now here's another guy he finds his way back finds a niche you know on the back end of the the bullpen here at the ultimate site he's throwing harder than he was when he first came over um four years ago and now he's you know gets thrown up in philadelphia and you know he gets thrown into an extra inning game in atlanta and it doesn't work out real well and everybody's like well this guy's not the answer I think long term, if they left him alone and told him, hey, look, you're pitching one or two innings out of the bullpen, that's your the rest of your time in the organization. I think they'll get they'll get something out of him. He can be a, a real contributor. Now, I'm fearful that if they try and do the same thing with Damon Jones, that they won't get much of, out of him at all. Um, he's He's got a chance to be a, a really good left handed bullpen guy throwing mid to upper 90s and his off speed pitches are getting to be major league quality um, but again i don't think he's he's ready to take that next step but he's certainly not ready to go back to being a starter or being a guy that could maybe help the phillies out in that in that capacity i really don't think so
0: with the big club we've seen lots of center field woes uh roman quinn who we like and have covered for years just like you injured again not really his fault we've seen scott kingery go up and down try different positions mickey moniac has seen some time with the big team. What's your take on these guys they're trying to use to fill that role in terms of their development, particularly Kingery and Moniac, who people have so many questions about.
1: I, I, I'm kind of
2: torn. I, I'm trying not to sound fan-like in this assessment, but when they called up Aldugo Herrera to play center field, they called him knowing full well that he was going to play every day unless he was hurt. And I just feel like they had they have never really done that with either one of the guys you mentioned. Um, and again, I think Nick Maton is probably not ready, but you saw what happened when he got up there and he played for every day for two weeks. Now it was at you know, different positions and he batted different places in the lineup, but when he knew he was gonna be in the lineup every day, he got some consistency in his swing and he was able to, to contribute. With Moniac and Kingery, who were in different stages of their development, they haven't gotten any any sort of consistency. And again, Moniak went up out of necessity. I think he could have used another three months steady at bats in Triple A, and then I would think that based on his progress he's made uh, throughout the system that he would have been ready to play in the major leagues. But out of necessity, they had to give him, had to get him up there and give him a shot. With Kingery, I'm afraid that uh, they've kind of. They messed up a good thing. Um, when they called him up, you know, signed that contract a few years back, he was the best second baseman in the system they've had uh, in a long time. Defensively, he was as good as anybody since I was a teenager, uh, which is too long ago to talk about. He he was fantastic. And I think if they would have said, hey, look, Scott, you're going to bat eighth and you're going to play second base until you need a day off, I don't think we would be having this discussion about him three years later. But I'm afraid that uh, different positions – Um, The different places in the order have really, really uh, hurt. There's been some issues with, you know, his swing coach that he used. It's not affiliated with Phillies and and how that's all kind of played into it. Um, When he was using that swing coach and he was finishing up double A and moving to triple A, he knew exactly who he was. He was a doubles guy who could steal bases and play defense better than anybody else. And then suddenly he became, tried to become something that he wasn't. So uh, I can't fault anybody outside the system for what's happened with him offensively and what's happened to him mentally. So I'm I'm afraid that, you know, um, Kingery may not be able to be the person that he certainly looked like uh, that I saw in 2018-2019. So um, whoever gets the chance in center field, they got to know they can play there every day for like a month or so. Just to feel comfortable, work out the pressure that they're feeling, knowing that this is their chance, and just let them go um again i'm i have never been an audible herrera fan since his all-star year i just he's never been my kind of guy um the way he plays um the streaks i mean when he's hot and he had some hot stretches in his early early part of his career he was you know he was hard to get out but too often or not he was atrocious in every facet of the game uh otherwise there was either one or the other you got that would drive me crazy as a manager or as a hitting coach or as a defensive coach. He just, he drives me mad. And again, he's in a hot streak now. So, um, you know, Phillies fans are fine, but again, there's going to be a stretch where he goes, you know, six for 60 and drops fly balls and has a base running blunder. And he just doesn't have that baseball savvy that um, some other guys have. Now he's athletically gifted. There's no question about that. Sometimes that makes up for your, lack of baseball refinement, but he, you know, long-term this year and beyond, he's not my guy. And I don't know who the answer is, but whoever it is that they think it is beyond Oduble, they have to give him a shot. And, you know, again, Roman Quinn's probably not the answer because what we've seen, he can't stay healthy. Um, but somebody, whoever it is has to get a legitimate shot to say, look, I'm running you out the next six weeks, barring a day game after a night game where you might need a break once in a while but you're our guy and let's see who can play center field every day now i'm I'm nervous if nick mayton has to get moved out there because he's a pretty good middle infielder um but they may not have a choice they may see that as Uh, not having a choice so we'll see
0: tom we look forward to reading your work in the morning call follow you on twitter and giving us updates from what we can expect coming up thanks so much for always giving us some time you take care of yourself right man
2: Appreciate it, guys. Have a good weekend. Thank you,
0: Jeff. We're gonna go right from baseball
1: over to some basketball talk. Uh, right, right from one team that has defensive problems to another team that might have defensive problems. <laughs> Keith Pompey, uh, Jeff is
0: excited because Orlando apparently has so many players not playing tonight that a Michigan man may see the court. Who? How are you doing this evening, Keith?
3: I'm all right. I don't think he'll see the court tonight, though. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Why?
1: Why? Are you, are you suiting up? Are you going to play? How many? Tell us to start off. They're, they're playing the Orlando Magic that I believe have the second worst record in the East. How yeah. many guys are they actually going to have suited up today?
3: Well, let's say so. Right now, they are, they have seventeen guys on the rosters. So ten of them, no, excuse me, seven of them are already out, um, and then another one could be out. So what's that? Nine, you know. So they'll mm-hmm. probably have nine guys. Maybe, you know, maybe. Well,
1: then Brzdicus has to play. <laughs> uh,
3: maybe not. You know, maybe not. Maybe he's, you know, maybe actually... uh, they you know they they want to uh they want to lose this game. So if he comes in, he may, you know, hit a couple shots <laughs> and, and then they they won't get the seed that they're supposed to get.
1: Okay, so so Orlando wants to lose this game because they want a higher draft pick. The Sixers yeah. want to win this game because they want to wrap up the number 1 seed. Why yeah. does my stomach not say that this is going to go as easy as planned?
3: you've been watching the last couple games you're a sixers fan
1: that's why what happened last night explain they had almost their full roster last. what happened night. last night they yeah.
0: got spanked i believe as keith's column says they were manhandled last night <laughs> keith what happened
3: well like hey what happened is i hate to say it you know the sixers have i, I maybe their their schedule has basically hindered them a little bit, and what I mean by that is they're going and playing under man, man teams. And this was the first time since they played the Milwaukee Bucks, what ten games ago, that they that they played a team that was like had a uh, excuse me a healthy somewhat healthy roster, and it was a quality team. They just couldn't match that intensity, and it, they and they couldn't match the physicality either. I mean, this guy this team was getting up in guys' face. They were knocking them around. You know, the Sixers were trying to fight back a little bit, but then they would get call, um, fouls called on them, and they would get a little frustrated. But um, it was kind of like the Jimmy Butler effect. Like, you know, he, he's a gritty guy, and he he goes to a team, and they were gritty, and the, the Sixers just seemed like they couldn't have matched it.
1: Okay, well, then, then you just made my, my day worse because now I'm sitting there going exactly – When are they going to flip the switch and can they flip the switch to play against competition? Cause you know, we've been talking all year about how the fact that the Sixers don't seem to be playing against the best players from every team. You've just said that this is the last game in the last 10 or so where they've had a full complement of opponent. Now they're going to play the second to worst team in, in the Eastern conference for the last two games of the season. Can they just turn it on, come playoff time?
3: I mean, it's going to be tough. I mean, here's the thing. I'm pretty sure, like, teams do pick up the tempo. But the funny thing is this was reminiscent of the 2018 year when they went on and they won all those games, and they were playing, you know, some 500, but they weren't playing any dominant teams. And it will be good enough for them to get out of the first round. But if they don't turn it on, yeah, they could have another second-round exit. Um, and, and I know a lot of people are saying, what are you talking about? They're going to get the first seed. It's going to be easier. Yeah, are play but Jimmy Butler and the
0: heat in that second round.
3: It, exactly. I mean, you know, that's the type of team that they're going to go up against. And then not only that, you know Atlanta's going to be motivated. They were injured when they played the Sixers, and the Sixers kind of took them behind a wood, woodshed twice. So, you know, the Sixers, they do need to step up. They do need to play better. You know, I feel like, you know, guys were too concerned with individual accolades and the season awards. And, you know, they just, I don't know, they just looked bad yesterday. It was a a really disappointing loss.
0: Well, and the thing that concerns me, look, you end up with a heat matchup. And look, this could just be something recent, but they've struggled against zone defenses. They know how to attack a zone. They have the shooters to bust it. There's no reason they should have struggled. But the Pelicans in particular, and then the Heat the other night, have made them look silly. What concerns do you have about the Sixers' offense in the half court going into the playoffs where everything gets tighter?
3: Well, you need a point guard who can shoot the ball. I mean, you need people like that. The primary ball handler has to be able to shoot. Um, Joel has to have confidence in these guys, you know what I mean, so he can pass it out. But, you know, it's funny, like a year ago, Miami was the first team that used the zone against them. And I'm not Doc Rivers. Brett Brown was getting criticized because, you know, they couldn't uh, bust the zone. And then the next game they played, the Dallas Mavericks used the zone and crushed them. And now Miami's coming right back at it. And it just seems like I think that when you have a a ball handler, a guy who everyone knows that he's not going to be able to shoot the ball or he's not going to shoot the ball, like – it makes it harder to guard against – or, excuse me, harder to uh, score against because you're basically – he has the ball and, and it's kind of like, you know, four on five a little bit. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's the major problem. But then again, you know, Danny Green, he was three for five against it. But, you know, at that point they were, you know, getting blown out, so to speak. But, yeah, it's I think the the fact that you have a point guard who doesn't shoot the ball that's the biggest concern.
1: I saw another troubling thing last night, which was Joel Embiid kept getting pushed out of the key, and, and it seemed to create, is that something that other teams see? Or was that just a one game Joel didn't really care? Go ahead, push me out of the, I, I don't, I, this isn't the game I'm really worried about. Or is this something that teams could pick up on and just start shoving him out of the key? Because he took a I three-pointer mean, from about eight it, feet beyond the line at one point, too.
3: You know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, they're saying that, like, last night Doc said he wasn't really sick. I mean, he said he was sick, but he was, that, that didn't hinder him. So I would be concerned if, I mean, it's not going to happen tonight, and it probably won't happen if he plays on Sunday just because of the, the level of competition. But, it, it's like, this is kind of like a one-off. You know, they, they said he was a little under, under, the weather, under the weather, so I wouldn't hit that panic button just yet. You know what I mean? But if, if I saw it a couple more times, then, yeah, it couldn't become a little concerning. I mean, the, the thing is, it, it just like, you know, he just has to stay down there. He has to be more physical for him, more aggressive. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how much that uh, altercation kind of impacted him a little bit. Maybe he could have lost his focus. You know, they were upset with the refs. You know, and he's probably thinking, like, man, I hopped on this private jet to come down here for this and this is what we're doing, you know what I mean? So, you know, it it could have been a lot of things, but, you know, he's such a big, strong guy that I wouldn't be concerned with it just yet. Now, if it was something that continued, of course.
1: By the way, how many times have you actually uttered the phrase yourself, I've hopped on this private jet for this?
3: (laughs) Man, I wish I, I, you know what, I wish I can utter it at least twice. (laughs) You know what I mean? At least, we'll work on but then, that you know, I'll probably be a little nervous a Hey, man, let me to the uh, to the pilot. Let me see your license. Uh, where did you? Where, <laughs> what did you do? How many flights have you flown? You know what I mean? Jeff's yeah. got
0: connections. He'll get right on that for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, you don't I, want my connection. So despite everything that we've said, if you look at some of the other teams going into the playoffs, you know, there's a tweet that potentially Harden, Durant and Kyrie may get on the court together before the end of the season for their last game. Uh, the Celtics are now without Jalen Brown. The Heat are going to be without Victor Oladipo. Uh, is, are the Sixers, assuming they wrap up number one, the clear favorites here? What's your sense of the team? Despite all the negative things that we've talked about so far, it seems that every other team in the East has flaws too.
3: No, nah, they're not the clear favorite. Not, uh, you know, it's weird because when you look at how they're playing, I mean, yesterday should have shown people that they weren't. And I know people saying, oh, they were being very very vanilla. And I'm like, well, you know, so was Miami. They were just being gritty with it, right? But um, no, they're not. I mean, you look at a team like Milwaukee and you see how Milwaukee's playing. You look at um, Brooklyn. I mean, I know Brooklyn hasn't played a lot together with their big three. But Kevin Durant is a bucket. And I don't see anyone on the Sixers who can stop Kevin Durant. I'm sorry. I just don't. And then when you have James Harden and Kyrie, I mean, we're talking, you know, uh, like are you going to be able to put people on all of them? I mean, we talked about this last week. I just don't see the Sixers being better than that team. And I don't see the Sixers being better than Milwaukee. The thing about Milwaukee is there's certain teams and certain um, that other teams get up for. And Giannis gets up for playing against the Sixers. He does. Like la there was one time when he came in here, lackadaisical, and that was Christmas of of last year, you know, um, not last season. And he came in there and they got and they got crushed. And after that, it just seems like they were opening up a can on the Sixers. You know what I mean? So I don't see the Seventy Sixers as, in my eyes, I don't see them as the, the overwhelming front runners. See, this is funny. Like when you talk to people about the Sixers. And this isn't a knock, but it's the truth. Everyone says, "Wow, they got to get that number one seed." And you say, "Okay, yeah, oh well, yeah, well, why? Oh, because then they get to avoid Brooklyn or Milwaukee in the second round. They don't have to play them into the finals." And then they're like, "Well, yeah, I hope my I hope I hope, uh, I hope um, Miami slides to number six. And I'm like, "Why?" Because then the Sixers won't have to play them in the second round. So when people start saying, I hope, I hope, to me, that's a little alarming. Like, that's to me, you're saying, like, you don't think that this team is good enough. You're just hoping that they get an easy path to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. So when you start saying that, I don't even think the people who say that believe that they're the overwhelming or they're the favorites to come out of the East. Because they're wishing there's going to be some luck that goes with it, you know?
0: I'm more interested from the standpoint of them having home court and the attendance increasing and how that will impact the way this team plays in the playoffs. I, I'm not, uh, you're not playing
1: their fans. They're playing the other teams.
0: I know, but when they play in front of their fans, they seem to be a different team. We have that with Philly mm. sports teams here where they are different teams at home and on the road. So I'm just wondering, not how excited it. is the team to have the fans and the numbers increasing coming back for these games? Cause they're going to need it.
3: Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm kind of a little bit on the fence with that one. Like I'm a little bit like Jeff and I'm a little bit with you. I hear what the, what you're saying. But it's kind of sort of, you know, you know, the the fans are going to feed off of energy. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Joel is going to get pumped up. He's going to get excited. Ben's going to dunk. He's going to roar at the crowd. But you remember, Toronto did win a couple games here, right? I mean, they they won well. They won a one pivotal one. Um, Boston won a pivotal one here. And I know that they have the home court advantage and all that stuff. But, you know, to me, they have to play a whole lot better than what they did last night. I mean, I felt like they didn't match the team's physicality. They couldn't solve the zone. And I don't care where you are, if you can't solve the zone, like if you can't make shots, the crowd isn't going to help you. Now, it will be great if you are making shots here because the crowd is going to love you. But if you're not making shots then the crowd is going to let you know you're not making shots. So, you know what I mean? So, you might want to be on the road. Now, again, this is a great home court advantage, but I, I think that, you know, when it gets to that level, you know, the Sixers are just going to have to produce, and I don't care where they are on, the, on at home or the road. They need to produce.
1: Look, it, it, it's a great place to go see a game. It's a lot of fun when you have a full arena of loud Philadelphia fans Joel Embiid, like you said, is going to sit there. His hands are going to be up. He's going to be playing off, just like Allen Iverson used to do. He likes to play off the fans and stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm still worried, one, about the offense, the way we talked about, but I'm also worried about the defense. I'm not buying that this is such a great defensive team. And and to me, there's another problem we haven't talked about yet. But the last thing I want to ask you is, are we going to have Matisse back? Because if we don't, I think there's a major problem with the defense.
3: Yeah, I mean, Matisse is coming back. Um, you know, Matisse is questionable for, for today. The thing about when you have a bruised hand and that's something that, you know, you know, Matisse gets a lot of touches, he gets a lot of deflections, you know, things where you don't think they should be able to. I mean, they shouldn't have a hard time beating Orlando, especially when they have seven rotation players out, right? So, So, you know, they don't really need Matisse for that. So I think it's one of those things that you have to just make sure his cardio stays up and then have some hard practices next week just to make sure he gets ready. But, you know, I I think that he'll be fine for the playoffs. I just think it's just, you know, right now a little bit caution, you know, don't rush anything back, just make sure he's okay. But, yeah, you're right, they're going to need Matisse. And I agree with you. Like their numbers are kind of skewed in a way because – you know, everybody's hyping up the numbers, and, yeah, they're second in the league in this category and fifth in the league and another one. But when you factor in, they've been playing the walking wounded lately. You know, teams with, like, five, six guys injured, struggling teams. And, of course, your your defensive numbers are going to be great. So, you know, it's kind of tough. I'm, like, more on the line of what did you do against Milwaukee? What did you do, do against Miami? What did you do against Phoenix? And even, and you got to consider, like, you know, they started struggling in the second half, couldn't make any stops against Indiana, too, when the clutch came. So, yeah, I'm with you 100%. I do think Matisse is coming back. Um, I mean, I, I, I expect him to come back. And, like, that defensive numbers are a little misleading
0: to me. Keith, you will help us get through this. Time in the playoffs, follow at Pompeii on Sixers, read him in the Inquirer, listen on podcast locked on Sixers. Keith, always appreciate the time.
3: Thanks for help helping me when that dude from Michigan still won't play.
1: <laughs> I love the shots fired. Take it easy, Keith.
3: <laughs> All right, bye.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. No Michigan men on the court.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I will bet you that Mo Wagner plays. <laughs> Oh, it's too funny.
0: <laughs> Jeff, why don't we try and throw it to break if Mike's over there. We'll come back. We'll talk a little more basketball and then we'll, we'll get Will Leach on the phone and talk about his book. Uh, stick with us.
1: Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why Elac and Local 825 are ready to get to work.
0: Women Heart is in a race. Jeff, I, I don't feel any better about the Sixers after talking
1: to Keith right there.
0: I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure.
1: I was a little more actually the the team I feel best about today so far is is the flyers, but that's because their season's over and we didn't have a guest on who who actually knows something.
0: (laughs) I I didn't expect to to feel that way. I mean, I was kind of joking, like third time's the charm for clinching.
1: They have to clinch. Oh, I did too. Uh, Look, they should not have struggled to clinch at this point. That's what's so frustrating, but that's what you, you see all season is it's not that you it's not that the Sixers aren't good or great. It's that you don't know. This has been and this is the NBA's fault. This isn't the Sixers' fault. The NBA scheduled this season and squeezed 72 games in in the middle of a pandemic and caused this situation where players were getting hurt and players weren't playing to avoid getting hurt. And so the thing that we got we supposedly got away from which was load management has essentially come back now. And it is horrible to watch a lot of these games because you ha- you're you not watching competition. You're not watching it. the best versus the best. So it, just as Keith said, we don't know. We have no idea what's going to happen when the playoffs start because we haven't seen them play against real competition
0: for so long. This isn't you complaining on the back end either. Like you do it in real time during games with text messages
1: to me. It's it's frustrating because I I love sports, but I love sports where there's competition. I love close games, except look, I I I love a good blowout when I'm watching Michigan, but that doesn't happen very, very much these days, except when they're playing Ohio State. And then I get to watch a good blowout, but the wrong side. It's (laughs) so I decided to take a shot at myself before you could do it. There you go. I'm just I'm just tired of the fact that the NBA is the best athletes in the world, and we're not getting to watch the best play the best. Are you surprised, though? I mean, the NBA had to know this was going to happen when they put the condensed
0: season in that they did. I don't think they did. I really How? They I don't. They already I, had I, problems with players sitting and not playing back-to-back. Before- well, then, do they just not care? because that's the other alternative. No, I don't think they care because I think that they wanted to get as many games as possible so they can get as much revenue as possible and get as much TV revenue as possible. So I think they're like, "Oh, okay, if a couple stars sit during the game, it's not the product we want, but we get paid for the game."
1: Like, well, then I, why, not, why not play, why not just play then why not just play 48 or 56 games and then just have a much bigger playoffs and just start there. Because they're
0: not going to they're going to get more money out of having 72 games for each team in these local markets, you won't have all those teams in those local markets in the playoffs. Sure you will. It, it, you expand, both,
1: the, expand the playoffs to almost every team is in it and then the teams and I, that aren't and nobody cares about anyway. You and I both know that that's what this all comes down to it comes yeah, down to that that that's that's why we have the expanded plan right now because it's more money on that end. While we wait to get Will on, I'll give you some some soccer talk,
0: Jeff, uh, as we work to maybe get Coach Jim Curtin on in a couple of weeks.
1: It. What, you want to storm man you?
0: I mean, what, what do you want to talk about? Full capacity for the union uh, going in June. Uh, they'll have their, their full crowd. You can go down and be in the Suns event. Oh, that's right. You can't stand that long. So we won't have you. Wow, on. that was totally uncalled for, but he, a good one. Do you know what's even <laughs> more uncalled for? That I'm going to leave it there. Oh, no. and I'm going to bring Will on and I'm just going to let that hang there after taking a shot at you. Well, Will doesn't know how old I am, but yeah. No, he does. And so I've got the founding editor, former of uh, Dead Spin, Will. Like, Will, I don't understand how you find time to write books with all of the things that. <laughs> you are doing out there i i you know we prepped for the interview and so i was like oh okay i'll go and see what's going on and then i come across a page where you're on like every media outlet out there every day of the week and then you're being rated by room raider in the process as it goes along i thought (laughs) i was busy i'm exhausted seeing this all when do you have time to write books
4: (laughs) uh well uh to be fair i i i'm just about done with the next one i just need to Cut this call a little short. Give me like five minutes and I'll come back and we'll chat a second. No, I'm happy to. I love making stuff. You know, this is the fun stuff. Can we do you know, the forward I, I right now? A, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, to, uh, it starts with the, the, it was the best of times the worst of times. We'll figure out the best <laughs> after that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, this is the fun stuff. You know, I spent a long time uh, uh, writing where no one was reading me and no one was paying me to have nobody read me. So the idea that I get to do stuff now, I, I just try to take full advantage of it.
0: So your fifth book. Out this week, published by HarperCollins. How lucky! Uh, I saw that you were able to take over the HarperCollins Twitter feed for an hour. I saw Stephen King rave. It was a fantastic novel and a retweet. What's the response been, and what's this been like been for you?
4: Yeah, it's been, you know, it's been new. Obviously, I'm I'm more from the uh, from the sports world and it was certainly annoying to my age when I was like, "Hey, I wrote a book that has nothing to do with sports. And it's completely off brand." He's like, "Great. Awesome. That's going to make my, my life so much easier." But uh, uh certainly when Stephen the Stephen King thing was very was really exciting. You know, I I don't actually know Stephen King and I've never met him. I still have had, I've never met him. But he, someone got him the book and the thing about Stephen King is kind of amazing is A, obviously he's a great writer, but you know, for a lot of people Stephen King, I'm from central Illinois, and people, as much as I would like more people in central Illinois to read novels all the time, it doesn't happen. Right? It's hard to get them. They're not going to read mine. They're not going to read like an average one lying around. But Stephen King, to a lot of people, represents not just like a great writer, but like books. Like he is that, like, the, you know, so to have Stephen King come across a book like that. It's been very exciting, you know, but this is still so new to me that I, I'm not from, I didn't go to creative, you know, didn't get, get an MFA or creative writing school. and like that. I just wanted to write a book. I've been very fortunate that people have been uh, happy for it, but I'm still going to keep my day job. I'm going to keep writing sports. That I love sports too much to, to not keep writing about sports.
1: You know, what it doesn't matter what you write about. If you're a writer and a good writer, you learn about your subject. We know from from reading your stuff about sports, you learn about the subjects that you're writing about. With this book, the main character is spinal muscular atrophy. Uh, and you spent months researching and interviewing families. What was it like to do that? And what have you what have you taken from that?
4: Yeah, you know, the reason I, the initial inspiration is because my son's best friend actually has SMA. There's a character in the book, that, the main character in the book, and his best friend discovered, their parents discovered when they're like one year old, which is basically what happened with our family. So I had this somewhat of an end. But what was interesting is, again, you know, that's where, like me being a journalist, I just have to talk to a lot of people. And the great thing about this is I can come in from the beginning and say, listen, I'm going to write, I'm going to write from the perspective of a character that has SMA. Now, I do not have SMA, so can you imagine how many things I'm going to get wrong? <laughs> like, across the board, I'm going to get so many things wrong. So, like, I'm asking you, and they were so great, uh, you know, they're so gracious with their time and so and so eager to have, like, kind of this voice told correctly that they just corrected the many, many mistakes that I made throughout this process, and to me, that, that's that's just that's where the journalism comes in for this. Like this is an, a work of fiction, but you know, to me, this was something that I had to get right. And so, to you know, on one hand, I was moved by so many of the stories of the people I talked to. On the other hand, you know, they and I think this comes across with Daniel and the main character. He's like they, they. Nobody likes it. Do you like it when someone comes to you and says, "Oh, good for you. You're so brave." Good, like like no one wants to hear that. They just want to live their life, you know. And so, to me, that's part of Daniel's perspective is. People, like, I, he, he really does not like being kind of infantilized like that. He likes to, he's just a normal person like everybody else is and keeps getting frustrated by everyone being like, oh, good for you. I'm proud for you to be able to do that. Like, how annoying would that be on a daily basis to every time you do something, people congratulate you for, like, crossing the street? And uh, and I think that's 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 a perspective that I, I got from a lot of people that, that I talked about. It's like, there's a, and again, Daniel has SMA, but the book is not about sma it's about daniel who has sma and i think to me it's just getting those little details right it was i feel smarter because of it but again i still i don't do not have sma so by nature i'm never going to get it exactly the i'm never going to understand it the way that they understand it but uh, certainly people were very gracious with me for giving me the time to let me talk to them and frankly letting me letting me listen to them
0: as much as it's a book of fiction it seems like kind of an education for people what should they expect to get out of reading this one you know, my initial
4: idea for the book was, to be honest, it's been kind of a, I don't know about you guys, but uh, it, I feel like the last year and maybe the last like even few years have certainly been a stressful time for, for a lot of people uh, one way or the other. You know, I think that people have either, it's in it's been hard, particularly in the last year, to feel like always that people are great and people are inherently good and one of the things that daniel really truly believes which i think is even more impressive because of all he's he and his body have gone through he believes that people are good he has and he has a job where his job is to answer he's a social media coordinator for a regional airline which is to say he gets yelled at people on twitter all day for their planes being laid and it. he still has this like very positive attitude about the world and believes that people are inherently good, and and that we get sometimes lost in, in the world of the internet and in like this polarizing climate that we all have, that we we don't chronicle and don't really notice, just like the small kindnesses that happen on a pretty regular everyday basis. But Daniel, because he does, he cannot speak, and because generally he people try not to look at him, or like he tends to notice like so many things. And one of the things I think is inspiring about Daniel, and inspiring to a lot of people I talk to, is he like he sees. People in the way that they actually are, and thinks that they're good, and, and I think that that's hopefully a message that I think hopefully will resonate with people, particularly as we kind of go back out into the world a little bit and start interacting with one another again. Hopefully, that uh, I want people to feel like this is a mystery and there's suspense, and hopefully it's funny, but I really want people to like feel good. I wanted to put some good into the world with the book, and uh, I don't know. Ho- hopefully, it's done that.
1: You know you talk about uh, trying to find the good. You know Jason and I do a show, this show that we try to talk about the good in sports and the way the way the inherently good things that you see in sports or that you don't see that are behind the scenes. You've covered sports for a long time now. When you write the stories that you've written and cover the, and break the stories that you've broke, th- does that jade you or have you been able to come out of it and still see the inherently good that sports can do?
4: Yeah, you know, I think I have an advantage in that I cover sports and I certainly interview people and I certainly, you know, try to keep the of what's going on. But I try not to get too close, which is to say I like to be my I go to more games as a fan than I do as a media member. And I think that is really important. I remember even when I started Spin back all those years ago, the fundamental thing that I told myself, because I had actually chosen in college. I, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a writer and I was like, OK, well, I really love sports let's see if I want to be a sports writer. And then I saw how miserable everyone that I knew that had made a year out of a career out of being a sports writer, how miserable they all seemed to be. And I thought, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, but it's not going to be that. So like kind of the deal that I made with myself when I started Deadspin is like, you know what? I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to have fun writing about sports. But if there's ever a time where I get like offered tickets to a game and I go, Oh no, thank you. I can't even think about sports right now. I'll quit. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's not, that's not the angle I want. Like I love sports. I can't, and particularly I have to say, I'm curious about other people's thoughts about this as they go out into the world after the pandemic of the last year. I'm fully vaccinated, and I went to a – I was in New York, and I went to a Yankees game. And I have to tell you, first off, it's great because there's just fewer people there. So there's like, the odds of running into a jerk are slashed dramatically, when, you're, when you're, particularly for a Yankees game. But also, like, the idea of being at a game, I'm just seeing it through, like, these new eyes now of what's been deprived, what I've missed, what I haven't been able to have. And it's reminded me that, like, sports is Sports are good. Like sports, I know that we get ugly. It's ugly. And if you go on Twitter, it feels like everybody's yelling at each other all the time. But when you go to a game, I mean, you're just there. And it's, it's you see these incredible athletic achievements. And there's all the, your own history that you bring to it. And, and it's just
3: – it really
4: just like – almost, it almost makes me like emotional to think about how much I've missed like sports and being at a game. So, yeah, I, if I lose that, I, I, I don't think I'll be a very good sports writer because – to me, I think a large part of my work is about the, certainly some of the bad things that happen in sports, but really the idea that there's this wonderful thing that exists that actually seems really important at the time, but doesn't really matter, but connects to our life in a larger way. I mean, that, that's I love sports and have always loved sports. And so if there's a moment where I start to not like it, or I start to be too jaded about it, I maybe I need to go cover something more fulfilling and hopeful, like politics or something. i talk to you about so that. Like, you don't that, want to be- yeah, yeah, never you mind. Don't yeah, sorry, probably that, probably, probably not good. Yeah. But, you, but, you but, but that's the thing. About, so that, that, that's what I love about
0: it. You talk about looking at sports through new eyes. And, and for me, uh, I actually ended up going and buying your fourth book, Are We Winning? Because I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and my four-year-old is just now starting to get into sports. And so that book spoke to me about the things and the lessons you can learn and communicate through sports. I was joking with my co-host jeff the other day um my son i tried to explain to him why it was okay for somebody to steal a base because he said that's not nice daddy we shouldn't steal things (laughs) and so to to see it through different eyes your book there relates to me can you talk before we have to let you go about Mm -hmm. the relationship of sports with parents
4: yeah you know i wrote that book actually before i was a parent it's actually more about my relationship with my own father who now i feel so fortunate because now my father is 11 years later not only still around he lives here in georgia and gets to watch baseball with his grandson who has his game and loves the cardinals as much as he does And so to be able to have that to have you know to have my son bound upstairs at six o'clock in the morning saying uh, wanting wanting to grab my phone to find out if, if his team won and uh, and to have that experience is something that already you know as are we winning is kind of about the idea that sports is really like a gateway or a vessel to talk about things that maybe are difficult to talk without that kind of vessel and without that gateway. And I think that in families, that is such an important thing. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the you know, I know this is a very kind of city slicker movie kind of idea, but there have been times we all have difficult relationships with our parents sometimes. And, and to have that connection of sports gives you like a default place to go when you're maybe struggling otherwise. And I, and, and to have that connection, the idea that my grandfather who, who passed away 30 years ago, I know what he was doing on the day that Ozzie Smith hit the home run uh, in, the, in 1985 in LCS because I know what I was doing. And that connection through, through, through generation, to me, it's one of the great things that sports does. Sports does it almost accidentally, but you know, I'll close on this. The, the, you know, someday, you know, look at the, the Philadelphia Phillies. The Philadelphia Phillies, everyone that plays for the Phillies, everyone that owns the Phillies, everyone that works for the Phillies, everyone, everyone is someday is no longer going to be involved with the Phillies. But the fans are going to be there forever. (laughs) The fans are going to be there forever. They will be there all the way through. And to me, they're the constant and really the primary reason that sports should exist in the first place.
0: Will Leach, we could talk with you all day. I would love to hopefully have you back on again to talk more. The book is How Lucky. Tell us where people can get it.
4: Yeah, it's uh, wherever books are sold at uh, Amazon. I always encourage people to get it from the local indie bookstores. Indie, independent bookstores have had a very difficult time during the pandemic. So I encourage everyone to buy books from there. But if you buy it from Amazon, I will not, like, scold you.
3: By means. means
4: buy the book where, <laughs> from wherever it's easier for you to do so. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks so much for the time. We really enjoyed it. We look forward to your next writing.
4: Of course, my pleasure. Please holler anytime and have a great
0: weekend. Take it easy. Jeff, I I asked that question at the end and I told you I wanted to ask it. Um, Mm -hmm. That book speaks to me. I will probably read it this weekend, (laughs) even though we started
1: with how lucky I am. I would ask you to borrow it, but I'll buy my own copy. How's that?
0: It's on my Kindle, so you can mm-hmm. just have my my Kindle. Two minutes left in the show, Jeff. Your thoughts after the interview? All of them. Take your pick. Three of them. Any? Well, no. I
1: mean, let's just do the last. We can mold the last one, Keith. And in, in that, I'm I'm going to the Sixers game tonight, and it's and I'm son. I'm going with my son, and it, and he's right that it it. it You'll remember where you were on certain days, even when those players are are long retired. And look, I've I've told you when my dad and I couldn't
0: agree on life, we agreed on sports. The first time that my two dads were together with my brother and I was the '93 NLCS against the Braves. We sat in the 700th level and watched the Phillies win in the 10th inning. I remember. We- that day as clear as anything.
1: We will remember when Iggy Brizdikas has 30 points because we (laughs) will say that we were there when (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I will tell you the cool thing. Again, I haven't,
0: I've tried really hard. I mean, we'll talk about I'll have to go to that ago. dispensary. To I've that tried happens. hard not to push my love of sports on Brandon. I want him to decide himself that he likes it. But he mm-hmm. asked for a Phillies hat this week, said he's rooting for the red team and asked me to take him to a game. Are you going
1: to get him the powder blue hat? Are you going to go old school?
0: I got him a red hat. Oh, come on. He was excited that his hat was the same color as the players on the field. So we'll talk more about that.
1: A fanatic dangle hat. Did you get him that? hat? Oh, I will. He, oh, you he, gotta he get him wants that. to see
0: the Fanatic. You told me to take him to a minor league game. He just wants to see the Fanatic. So I'll have to work on that. Jeff, 15 seconds. Any final thoughts?
1: Uh, Say something uh, profound. I already said it. I said, Iggy Br- is going to score 30 tonight.
0: Last word. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week.